0: The interesting thing about Bitcoin is that while we don't know what's going to happen with the fiat price of Bitcoin, we know exactly what's going to happen with how much Bitcoin is going to be produced. It's Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting thing. I told you the 930 a day, I mean, we know that part already. So that's, that's a really interesting thing to know that that's, what's going to happen. We don't know what the fiat price is going to be, but so, so somebody coming in has some understanding of where their downside is. You know, and it's um, it's one of those asymmetric opportunities, in my opinion, that people should look for. Where there is some downside, could go lower. There are some scenarios where miners could find themselves in a worse position than they are today. Break free from modern day slavery. Live the freedom
1: trinity of financial freedom time freedom and location freedom. Live in true fulfillment with a foundation of growth and balance in health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun doing what you love most. Let us show you the way. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have an awesome guest back in the house, Mr. Bob Burnett. He was here a couple of weeks ago talking to us about why he believes in Bitcoin and a little bit of the economics behind all of it. He also shared with us his amazing story of being a big innovator in the computer space and then accidentally transitioning into the cryptocurrency space with Ethereum mining machines and then getting involved in mining. And today, and and also being a a consultant to the El Salvadorian government and financial system. And today, Bob is going to take a deep dive with us on because of all of this, how has he positioned himself in the Bitcoin industry? What is he up to? And how does all of that work? So Bob Burnett, welcome to Freedom Hack Radio again, mate. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much, Bryce. I I love being here and spending time with you.
1: Beautiful. Well, we always go here first. always love to know what's given you the most gratitude today, mate.
0: Oh, I am I am just so blessed I I think for the team that I have with my company. Um we I mentioned to you privately that last week we brought up a new mining site and um for those of you who haven't ever been involved in such a thing, you know, it's a it's a grind. Um there's there's a lot of technical work, but there's also a lot of backbreaking work uh and and my team just uh did such a phenomenal job and now I can pull up a a report here and watch uh, a couple hundred mining servers clicking away uh, as we speak um, doing that work for us and supporting the network and, and uh, I'm just grateful for everybody that was uh, that was part of that project.
1: That's beautiful. Exciting. Yeah, a team really makes the difference. That's amazing. So last episode, we actually talked about, I suppose, a lot of the negative side of things of like where the economy is at, where we believe the economy wow. could go. Um, and, but the world is filled with 50% negativity and 50% positivity. So I'm glad that we laid the foundation of that on our last call. Uh, well, on our last podcast, but this time let's talk about the positive side of this because there's an opportunity that exists here, a massive opportunity. And you've really positioned yourself not only really well, but very uniquely as well. So, can you bring all of our freedom hackers up to pace in your involvement in the Bitcoin mining space? Sure,
0: sure. I, and, and, uh, this is going to be a long one, so bear with me. <laughs> but it's a great question. And you're right. You know we'll start from that, that you know you can look at the world from the positive or the negative. And um, I think uh, you and I are looking at it from the positive, and I think most of your listeners are probably coming from that perspective. And that's certainly true in the mining landscape. So if we look at what's happened in mining, we have to put a little historical perspective. During the bull run of Bitcoin from uh, the latter part of 2020 into the early part of 2022, um, we had a massive run and two things were happening. You know, one was there was a bunch of new faces in Bitcoin, a bunch of new money flowing into Bitcoin, and we saw the price rise, hitting almost $70,000. But a second event happened specific to the mining industry, and that was in June of um, 2021, uh, China banned mining. Mm. And so what happened was, uh, I'm gonna give a simple explanation at the beginning here for, for those who aren't familiar with mining, but every day on average, 900 new Bitcoin are mined. Those are Bitcoin coming into the monetary supply. And then there are, um, as those um, blocks are mined, the the blocks are mined to create that coin, um, fees are associated with the transactions inside the block. And those 900 Bitcoin plus those fees are revenue for the mining community. So on average, between the fees and the new uh, Bitcoin being issued, it equates to about 930 Bitcoin per day today. Revenue for the mining industry times, uh, let's say today's price is twenty thousand to keep the math simple. That means there's 18.6 million dollars if you want to measure it in fiat, right? So that money is is the revenue of the mining community. Now, if um, you have a mining operation and That mining operation has 1% of the world's computing power uh, dedicated to Bitcoin. That means you will mathematically, over any extended period, get 1% of that revenue. So in other words, $183,000 a day is what a mining company could expect to get at today's price with today's Bitcoin output. Or in Bitcoin terms, about 9.3 Bitcoin. So if you own 1% of the world's computing power, you get about 9.3 Bitcoin per day. Now, interestingly, that number measured in Bitcoin doesn't, it doesn't care about the fiat price, right? That, that, that's coming regardless. And um, so if the price of Bitcoin is 40,000 instead of 20,000, well, um, instead of 18.3 million, we're going to have 36.6 million, etc. cetera. Well... What happened in June of 2021 was, let's say we were clicking along in that time period and we had an operation that owned 1% of the world's mining capacity. China, which possessed somewhere on the order of 60% of the world's mining horsepower, overnight banned Bitcoin. And so the computing power in the whole network fell by roughly half. So what that meant is that if you were a miner and you were still mining, um, your percent of the world's output went from 1% to 2% overnight. Now, in parallel with that, the price of Bitcoin was increasing. So there was this heyday in the mining industry where revenue doubled overnight because of the ban and the price was going up, which was a multiplier on top of that. So mining companies did extremely, extremely well. If you were mining in that period, you did really, really well. Some of the large companies involved in the space, and by the way, small and medium-sized companies, um, got a little ahead of their skis, though. What, what, what's the phrase? Uh, you're, you're boots ahead of your skis? I can't remember. I'm not a skier, but... What do, you, what do you call that? Like when you, you, you start going too fast. And you, cat, you catch an edge? No, I'm, I'm trying to say you're going faster than you should. Anyway, yep. I'm not, yep. But that's the point. They mm-hmm. got ahead of themselves. They got caught up in this exuberance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what many of them started to do was use high amounts of leverage to secure and expand their operations. Mm. Now, um, I know, you know, in in real estate, for instance, I know a lot of a lot of um, your your viewer or your listeners and in your podcast, you talk about leverage, but you know, leverage can be good, but it also can be really bad, right? You know, if you you cannot get yourself in a situation where if you've pledged an asset um, as leverage, and the value of that asset plummets, you've got a problem, right? Mm-hmm. You can get you can get a cash call from the financing institution. Well, the mining companies had two things happening. One was they didn't want to sell the Bitcoin. A lot of them were hodling their Bitcoin, rightfully so. I understand that, um, and they didn't want to sell it to buy new equipment. Um, so they did the next thing, which was they said, "Well, we'll take." the existing mining equipment that we have, that asset, and the Bitcoin that we own as an asset, and now we will borrow against it to buy new equipment. Um, Additionally, while the price of Bitcoin was going up in the background, the price of mining equipment was also rapidly rising. So between The China ban in June of 2021, and let's say the end of the year, at the end of 2021, the price of mining equipment doubled. It was following. So what happened was several companies went out. They took these assets that were kind of inflated in their value. And bought more equipment that was even further inflated. Sounds like China, man. (laughs) Yeah. So um, you can probably see where this train wreck goes. um, Mm. In that, as we entered the early part of 2022, the price of Bitcoin started to fall. The price of the mining equipment started to fall. um, And it kind of crept along. It kind of drifted down until about May when we had a really large correction, um, that was where some of the um, DeFi cryptocurrency companies, the Terra Luna mess, Voyager, Celsius, some of you may have heard of those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we kind of all got caught up and the price of Bitcoin plummeted. Well, at the same time, the price of Bitcoin plummeted, the price of the mining equipment plummeted. The companies that have bought equipment, um, leveraging their existing assets, found that those assets were plummeting, and the equipment that they just purchased was now plummeting in value. And in order to satisfy, and now their output, especially as measured in fiat, was plummeting too. And their ability to service the debt started to get in trouble. So we saw a lot of the public miners have to sell Bitcoin, they have to start selling equipment to raise cash, flooding the market. So, And also they were doing things like turning down orders. Maybe they had made commitments, they had purchase orders out there. Sometimes when they had even put down payments on the equipment. Um, And all those things um, created this kind of perfect storm. Now we haven't seen an outright collapse of a large mining company yet. But we've seen major distress. Um, what we've also seen is that I mentioned, you know, being grateful for my team and the deployment of this new site at the beginning. We've also seen that the big companies are finding, on all companies of all sizes, are finding that it's not really the easiest thing in the world. You know, when um, I'll often say when we're like on site, you know, we're dealing with like big, big boy and girl stuff. Um, You see big pieces of heavy equipment, you have high voltages, you have very dangerous things um, that people are doing. And it's, it's just, you know, for, for an individual miner that wants to plug one miner in their garage, it's not a big deal. When you start talking about hundreds of kilowatts and megawatts of energy condensed in a small space. There are a lot of things that can go wrong when you're dealing with the heating and cooling issues that miners deal with a lot of things that can go wrong. And so what was happening too was a lot of the equipment that the, the big guys were bringing in that had all those other problems, they actually couldn't plug it in and run it either. So not only was it depreciating, not only was it leveraged, but it also wasn't even generating revenue for them. So it had all these things. So what, what's happened, and this, this kind of leads to opportunity, we're at a point now where the price of mining equipment is about one third of what it was or at the beginning of this year. You can buy the same equipment for a third of the price, sometimes even 25% of the price that you could at the beginning of the year. What we have found, and this gets into our strategy, which maybe we'll dive in deeper, is that there are lots of pockets of energy across the country on grid and off grid, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but where the large mining companies, too small amount of energy for the large mining companies to want to invest in, but too big for anybody that's not experienced and uh, has access to the appropriate amount of capital to come in and deploy. And and so that's kind of the sweet spot that my company is focused on is um, we want to especially right now, what we're trying to do is leverage the fact that we can go dramatically reduce the capital cost of entry into mining because the equipment itself is very, very inexpensive. And we can find little pockets where uh, what I would call large enough pieces of energy, something big enough to make it worthwhile are available. And
1: we're not competing with too many people to find those pockets of energy. Okay, excellent. There's a there's a few things I want to kind of dig into and then we'll keep going. So, um, first off, the whole over-leveraging thing. Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked we've spoken quite a lot about, you know, leveraging and you can kind of do 10 deals instead of one deal if you leverage things properly. But if you over-leverage and you put two, you have to do it all on a risk adjusted basis and actually look at like what could happen if everything goes wrong. And if everything goes wrong, can I handle it? And if you can still weather the storm, then it's probably something worth considering. And we're not giving any financial advice. We're not financial advisors, CPAs or anything like this. This is just a thought concept, obviously up to you listeners to actually decide how you're going to do this. But some people... um, Uh, I suppose a term is, you know, their eyes are too big for their stomach, they get this big plate of food, and they only eat a little portion of it. Um, They over leverage. And so there was actually a guy, I can't remember his name, I think it's Elijah, or Eli or something like that. He was the it was either the eighth or the 12th richest man in the world, he was the most richest man in, um, in Brazil. And so being the eighth or 12th richest man in the world, he's very up. He's got a lot of money, right? Yeah. Um, but then he overleveraged, and literally anybody listening to this podcast right now has a higher net worth than he does because he's negative because he lost it all. Because he did, a, he did a, a move that was essentially too greedy. And um, interestingly, behind that, uh, in an interview, he was asked, what does it feel like to be, let's just say it's the eighth. I can't remember if it was the eight or the twelfth. What's what's it like to be the eighth richest man in the world? To which he says it's terrible because there's seven people in front of me. So it's clear that you could see that he would have done anything to be in number one and he risked too much. Um, so we can see not only like that may be happening in the Bitcoin mining space, but that's something for a lot of us to be cautious of moving into what we're potentially moving into with res- you know recessionary uh, economic impacts increasing to not be over leveraged. Um, Another thing is the way that they compounded that over leverage and tried to save it by um, basically, you know, going deeper into the rabbit hole. That's exactly the same thing as what's happening with the Chinese housing debacle, which is why I said that's what's happening in China. And uh, we could keep your eyes on the news. We could see the largest real estate crash that's ever happened in the world happening in China because of that type of movement, where instead of actually just stopping at the first time when they knew they're in trouble, they over. Leverage themselves and get even deeper and borrow more money to pay back the first one, and then borrow money in the third one to pay the second one, and, and it yep. just goes deeper and deeper. And it's uh, it's it's absurd the amount of money they've racked up over there. One thing that I'm curious about is. When these large companies who have overleveraged come to fruition and it's time for them to kind of bite the dust, what will that what will happen for everybody else in the Bitcoin mining space? And what would happen for consumers? Does that mean that um, there's going to be a lot more Bitcoin available to purchase at that time? How would that scenario play out?
0: Well, it's partially played out already. So I'll give you an example. Uh, core Scientific which is a publicly traded Bitcoin mining company. Um, they had been hodling Bitcoin. They had uh, on their balance sheet over 8,000 Bitcoin. So pretty, pretty large sum of money, right? They were okay until June of this year, at which point this perfect storm of events caught up with them. And in order to um, get themselves out, they had to sell eight, 7,000 of the 8,000. Of course, they were selling those 7,000 at the worst possible time, right? Mm-hmm. They were selling it into a market that was already, and, and you know same thing, you could see this in real estate too, like, hey, somebody has the real estate market's tanking, I got to raise money, what do I have to do? Well, I have to sell at depressed prices. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Bitcoin has been down for a while, but- we're, I think we're at the end. I'm not trying, again, as you said, I'm not giving financial advice. I'm not predicting exactly the day that we're going to come out of it. But there's a lot of that. This has been going on where people that held a lot of Bitcoin but had leveraged it um, got themselves caught up in this and it forced a bunch of Bitcoin into the market. Um, it also means that miners right now, as we sit here today, miners are not nearly as profitable as they used to be. And so we have, <clears throat> all of us, have fiat-based operating expenses. We have energy bills, we have labor, we have things like that. So if, if let's say, I'm getting one Bitcoin a day in my operation, $20,000 of, of revenue um, today, but if Bitcoin goes to 40000 um, still generating one Bitcoin, and so I'm getting 40000 in revenue, I, I'm going to hodl that whole extra half of a Bitcoin, right? So, mm-hmm. I, you know, that, that's what's happening right now is we're kind of got ourselves caught in this situation that a lot of the Bitcoin being mined ends up in the market. A lot of the Bitcoin that had been hodled was, was getting forced into the market. Um, but, you know, I, we, we talked on the last show about my history in computing. These same sort of things happen in the computing industry too. Where what would happen, let's say, in the early to mid-90s in the personal computer industry was lots of the PC companies started doing well. They all thought that they would continue to grow at 50% annual growth, let's say. Went and made commitments to facilities and inventory and labor, support that growth. And then the moment there was a downturn, uh, a whole bunch of them got caught. Caught up. Well, what did that do? It, you know they they had to liquidate. So you saw a big drop in PC prices for a while and overplot. And it took a while for that to flush out. We saw some casualties. So we saw bankruptcies. We saw mergers and acquisitions occurring as people tried to save themselves. Um, and I think that that's what's going to happen here too in our in in our industry that you're going to see you're going to see some bankruptcies. You're going to see, um, a couple mergers and acquisitions. Um,
1: do you think that would be a good opportunity for like some operators to come in and kind of take over where people left off and just kind of buy their operation at a discount and then, you know, fill the gaps to get it up and running? Massive opportunity, whether that is, um, you
0: know, syndicates of money that go in and do that, or you see big financial institutions or even utility companies and, things like that, that want to enter the market, maybe they've, they've been slow to get in, but now they can come, come in at a huge discount. Um, and uh, the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that while we don't know what's going to happen with the fiat price of Bitcoin, we know exactly what's going to happen with how much Bitcoin is going to be produced. It's mm-hmm. It's a very interesting thing. I told you the 930 a day. I mean, we know that part already. So that's, that's a really interesting thing to know that that's what's going to happen. We don't know what the fiat price is going to be, but so so somebody coming in has some understanding of where their downside is, you know, and it's um it's one of those asymmetric opportunities in my opinion that people should look for where there is some downside could go lower there are some scenarios where miners could find themselves in a worse position than they are today. On the other hand, if I were putting probabilities on it, you know we have this Maybe twenty or twenty-five percent downside opportunity that maybe could result in a loss of thirty percent. I'm kind of making these numbers up a little bit, but just put context on it. But you know, the opportunity to make five hundred percent is is equally as strong. Like you've got that same that same possibility on the other side where we get another bull run like the one that we had, and and if you're if you're in the game when that happens. But the only way to be in the game when that happens is to be there before it happens. Mm-hmm. Because if yeah. you try to, if you try to react after it happened, um, you're gonna you're gonna you're not gonna have the right cost structure. Um, you're gonna be overpaying for a lot of things. Um, you're probably gonna be too late, <laughs> and so you'll catch you'll you'll put a lot of extra money into catching the downside of the bull run.
1: That's an interesting thing. And I know that you wrote an article about this. I believe it was in Bitcoin magazine. We may have spoken about it on uh, last the last podcast episode that we did. But um, there's basically three components um, to Bitcoin mining, and you know when one's up, the others could be down. And the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that when Bitcoin pricing is low, it's actually a pretty advantageous time to buy machines. And um, even though investor sentiment is down, um, it's a really good position um, from an operational standpoint. Can you speak to that real quick?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. It's um, The article is called the Miner's Trilemma. And that's mm-hmm. a, a term I coined um, around what I perceive to be a phenomena, which is that, Um, there are three main components to bringing up a site, the mining equipment, the energy, and the capital. And that um, at any one point in time, one of my hypotheses is that at any one point in time, one of them will be hard. Always, always one of them will be hard. And at the point that one is hard, second part of the theorem is that uh if one of them that is hard starts to become easy it will force another one to start becoming hard like so it's you know it's uh you know it's it's this eternal search like to try to solve the a puzzle that really can't be solved mm-hmm. so the opportunity though as and this is what you're getting at is we're in a, a point where the mining equipment is easy and inexpensive it's easy to get and it's inexpensive the energy is fairly easy fairly accessible at least in you know small to medium-sized volumes and there are still opportunities to get efficient low-cost energy the capital's hard now the mm-hmm. exact opposite sitting here a year ago mm-hmm. or even nine months ago capital was super easy, and you and I've had some of these conversations personally. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I had people who wanted to invest in my operations, and I'm turning them away. Um, and and but the mining equipment was very very expensive. It had a really long lead time, and there was a little more competition for the energy sources. But the money was you know was super easy, so it could change that that quickly by by June. That had that. Reversal had already taken place, you know, from capital easy to capital very hard. Yeah, and that's where we sit
1: today. And really, the the investor, like the the capital piece being a challenge, is really just the psychology of investors wanting to get involved in the space that don't yet understand that it's kind of like buying discounted real estate right now, where you get to buy it discounted and then you're you're wanting it to go up essentially. And um, so talking about the actual energy costs, um, how do you lock in costs? What kind of rates are you locking in costs for? And then how long are those rates locked in for?
0: Okay, um, that varies from site to site. Um, we'll start with this. Um, if uh, energy um, costs are usually measured in cost per kilowatt hour. So for those who aren't familiar with it, Um, And so your typical residential real estate or or typical residential rate, um, depending where you live in the country, is probably between about $0.10 and $0.20 per kilowatt hour. Sometimes there are peak periods where it's even more. Um, At the industrial scale or commercial scale, you can do better than that. Um, And Part of that is geographic, you know, where are you? So, but first clue would be, you go to a place where they produce a lot of energy, but they don't use a lot of energy. So um, think of places, like we do a lot of our operations in South Dakota. Um, I think it's a good case example where they, they have um, the Missouri River there with several dams along the Missouri River, big scale dams, massive amount of wind energy, um, and so they're able to, and a, and a population of about 800,000 people. So they clearly produce way more energy in South Dakota than can be consumed by South Dakotans. And so we know, for instance, that they have to reach out as far away as places like Chicago, Kansas City, Minneapolis to find buyers for that energy. And that's not efficient, by the way. Energy does not transport well, electricity does not transport well. It, there's a, Energy loss. So, anyway, um, what what we really see is for the mining world, if your energy cost is greater than six cents per kilowatt hour, then it's a complete nut starter. So, if you just work the basic economics, that even in good times, my feeling uh, is that that's just too expensive, and there's too much risk involved. So, as you decline from that rate, uh, things get better and better. Some of the largest people, um, let's say buying at, let's say a hundred megawatt hours, um, continually, um, which is a lot by the way. So hundred megawatts, just to put that in perspective would be, um, roughly enough power for a city of hundred thousand people. So, mm-hmm. um, so talking about, you know, that amount of energy being consumed in a very small footprint for a mining operation. Um, you can see some of the public miners on grid getting rates in the 2.8 to 3.5 cent range. Um, now, they're, to get that rate, they're often putting up the capital, tens of millions of dollars sometimes, to build a specific substation for them. So that's not in that number, by the way. So, um, you know, that's just the rate they're paying. But they'll, they'll have to put in these massive amounts and they'll have to commit to the energy, um, often paying for a lot of it up front. Um, they also, which I think can be a positive, they'll often also create what's called um, demand response arrangements to get this deal. Meaning that they will agree that if the grid is stressed, and the utility company needs the power, let's say, to service hospitals or nursing homes or some other critical need, that, or even residential air conditioning, that they will turn off and they'll get a discount by, by um, being available to turn off. So it provides some grid stability and some benefits. So companies that are designing at that scale can get down into that rate. Um, We find there's a lot of opportunity um, in smaller sites. And by the way, those are often 10-year deals, something like that, like a 10-year power purchase agreement place. Um, If you're consuming less than about five megawatts, um, it's hard to get a power purchase agreement. So that's kind of a threshold there. Mm there. There are still though a lot of opportunities and we capitalize on some of them. Um, where we can get, let's say, three and a half to four and a half cent per kilowatt hour energy. Um, We may not get the lock, but what we do is we have highly mobile operations so that if we lose access for whatever reason to that energy, which, by the way, has never happened to us, but certainly could happen to us. You were talking about planning for the worst, but we we have the ability because we don't, we no longer build any of our mining in fixed structures. It's all in shipping containers or, or hash huts mm-hmm. that are completely mobile. That, you know, I'm going to oversimplify a little bit. You can unplug it and back a truck up and move it somewhere
1: else. Yeah, it's amazing. So and you, so, can, you can exercise your backup plans or backup strategies if anything went sour. Right. Yeah. Now, all that said, um, all that stuff. Is
0: um, on grid. And most of the mining in the world today is done on grid, meaning we're using the same power grid,
1: so mm-hmm.
0: the rest of the consumers. What we have done and our, our long term focus um, is to do as much as we can off grid. So um, this would include things I. I I, I may have mentioned it in our last talk, but we own a small hydroelectric facility in South Carolina.
1: So, which just, you guys built out too, didn't you? Like, correct. Yeah. Correct.
0: So we built that out, um, and so we own it. So theoretically, our cost of energy is free. Now, there's maintenance costs and upkeep costs of that, but you know, as long as the water's flowing and the turbine's spinning, then we get free energy. Um, uh, there are other applications like we're looking at um, in the natural gas area. So an example of that would be, uh, we're like for instance, there's um, opportunities in both, um, I'll, just, I'll tell you two, I'll tell you a, a Nebraska one and a Wyoming one. Was one in Nebraska where we have a landowner who has large natural gas deposits under his land. But he happens, that's been verified, but he happens to be several miles away from a pipeline. So the gas is essentially trapped there. There's no viable way to to pull it out of the ground and deliver it to market. At least economically anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose gas, if gas got to the right price, you could start bringing in trucks, I guess, and and filling up trucks, but um, a better idea is we can go on site and directly at the well site, we can put um, natural gas generators in and Bitcoin mining equipment and take the energy directly from the ground, um, not have to transport it and, and convert it from molecules to Bitcoin um, directly on site. and And I think that that's a fascinating way to um, to look at things. Now, we you, you could do the same thing with a stream in the middle of a jungle, where we put up a small hydroelectric operation. Um, we can do it with ge- geothermal. Um, you know, one of the unique things about Bitcoin is that, unlike almost any other industry, Bitcoin can go to the source of the energy. So, if if you if you were doing like big country level planning stuff or state level planning stuff, you would. You would do things, or even at a city level, right? You might say, "Okay, well, um, if if uh, I'm city X, right, and and I want to attract industry and business to my community, what do I do? I'm gonna I'm gonna work with the utility company. I'm gonna put a substation in on a plot of land. I'm gonna build out all these um, with with lots of power available. I'm gonna, um, you know, run." Um, Run sewer lines and water lines and all this sort of stuff to support the industry. And then I'm going to go put economic incentives in place to attract businesses to locate in this industrial park, let's say, right? But basically, what you have to do is you have to, another way to look at that is you have to um, convince these industries to locate in your specific spot. And the actual energy itself though is still produced somewhere else right so so the substation may be there but um, the river that's flowing or the wind that's blowing or the hole that's dug out of the ground or whatever it is is somewhere really far away. Bitcoin can go right to where that stuff is so it's a very unique industry in that we can we can take out all that inefficiency that results in moving the energy from the source to, um, uh, to the mining operation, by bringing the mining operation right to the source. So anyway, th- those are a couple examples, the hydro, hydro and the gas, and I got a, I got a billion of those.
1: Um, Yeah, and this is an important topic. And I know that you and I personally have spoken about all of the different opportunities that exist of currently underutilized or wasted utilities that we can tap into for Bitcoin mining operations. Um, And, you know, if anyone's been kind of watching the news or seeing what's going on over in the UK, they've massively increased uh, utility costs. And so if we can lock in pricing for, um, utilities or get some of these like underutilized, heavily discounted utilities, that's a massive hedge against, you know, potential increasing in prices. Like over in the UK, I think the utilities increased anywhere between 80% to a thousand percent based off people's position, which, um, has just like massively changed the game. And as it would here, if it happened here, Um, so these are these are really important things to take into consideration i know this is on the forefront of your mind and has been like part of your business plan right from the beginning yeah yeah
0: and there's so many I, i mentioned you know there's wind there's geothermal um we're talking to people in biomass you know taking methane generated from everything from dumb sites to animal waste um uh uh there's all kinds of of um there's stranded gas, which was the example I gave you. There's flared gas, which means, you know, as as you're drilling for oil, there's a gas byproduct that's coming out at the same time, and that's typically burned. Um, generally, not very environmentally friendly either. It's methane and other sulfur dioxide and other things like that that are coming up. Well, we can we can divert that stuff into generators and process it and mine Bitcoin. Um, and those things really happen. Those are actually, you know, happening today. So, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is under attack and this will be a little bit of a divergent. Um, uh, but, you know, there are, there is a group, uh, uh, several groups that are attacking Bitcoin. Um, I call them the unholy Trinity, um, um, central, the central banks, environmental activists, and, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be nice about it. I'll call them the altcoin community. And basically for different reasons, each of them wants to defeat Bitcoin. They view it as evil. The central banks are obvious. It's a threat to the very core of their power structure. And, and as a result, government itself, right? I and mean, it's a very structure. The altcoins, um and like I'll be very specific. There are, for instance, um the 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 Ripple team and XRP team, um, which is a, a large cryptocurrency, but they they attack Bitcoin regularly. I think they they want to be Bitcoin. They want what Bitcoin has, they want to be the king. And so they they try to reinforce. And basically say, well, we can do everything Bitcoin can do, and we can do it in a manner that doesn't consume all this energy, and, and uh, therefore, um, you, should, you should support us instead of Bitcoin. We're about to see Ethereum move in the same boat. Um, Cardano, Polkadot, etc. I'll let you all make your own decisions about whether or not you want to invest in those, but you know they, they all have been public, and the leadership of those companies have all been public. And their criticisms, and then there's the environmental activist groups, which I think are just frankly misguided. Um, you know, Bitcoin has the highest renewable energy usage of any industry in the world by far. Massive, over sixty percent of the energy used in Bitcoin mining is renewable. Bitcoin. That's a statistic from the Bitcoin Mining Council. Um, the average, by the way, ten. So. Um, most most are using 10% renewables and 90% fossil fuel bitcoin is the leader in this yet is the one being attacked for its energy usage
1: and i think the manipulation on the concept of like you know saving the environment is one of the biggest manipulations that's happening right now it's very um, misused. there's a lot of like false information and false data for what I believe are very hidden agendas that have nothing to do with saving the planet and uh, and you know saving our environment and very much for the people behind uh, the policies that are trying to be passed. Um, so you know I think it's very it's very good for us to be very conscious and aware of um, you know what the actual incentives are behind a lot of these people uh, using this like environmental thing, which is a real, real life challenge. Um, but they're, they're not actually solving the problem that they say they're going to solve. And they're blaming the people that really shouldn't be blamed. And it's not just the Bitcoin mining space. It's happening, you know, to a lot of sectors and, um, all over the world.
0: Yeah. You know, I would, uh, you know, this, um, I know this podcast and this community that you have Bryce and you and I both, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that, that, um, our tax on freedom. and I think some of our personal conversations have been in that mode, too. and And have to be very, very careful of how governments and regulations are are often slipped into society and and uh, the ones that especially infringe on freedom. And so I'll be very specific. People like Elizabeth Warren and Janet Yellen do not like Bitcoin. They are going to attack Bitcoin um, through this environmental angle. They'll also plead money laundering and criminal entities, which are are completely bogus as well. But they're going to lead with environmental um, attacks. And essentially what they are doing is they are making a decision about what is the proper use of electricity. They're trying to let a government what is the appropriate use of energy? So, um, I mean, everybody listening to this is probably within 10 feet of an electrical outlet. So you have a government agency now trying to dictate what you can plug into that wall. And, um, and if, if they can dictate and ban the use of Bitcoin mining machines in that outlet, or even tax them in a different rate than the hairdryer that you might put in there or the washing machine or the whatever. Um, We as a society have let a slippery slope occur. Like right now we have have complete freedom to use energy as we see fit. We have to pay for it, right? But we have complete freedom. Um, But the moment we let them ban Bitcoin mining, they are now in your house. They are now making a decision about what you can do inside your own house and the price of your home for something.
1: that. And this is why we need to raise our awareness, understand what these guys are really trying to do behind the scenes, because it's not just with our energy. It's also with our bodies and our health. It's also um, our financial, our ability to be able to pay bills and access our money. All of these things, um, you know, they're basically they want to take control of these things so they can control the people. Um, as opposed to us having our own freedom. So it's very important that we're conscious of of what they're actually going for. But because all of these forces are at play, this is why you've uniquely positioned yourself in the Bitcoin mining industry. Um, And there's actually a position that you have, which I'd like you to speak on. And um, that's the position of pony investing. So can you actually break down the different types of Bitcoin mining and why you believe the pony uh, sector or class is something to be involved in. Sure.
0: Yeah. So um, Bitcoin mining comes in all shapes and sizes. And um, in its earliest days, um, it was just individuals using standard personal computers. Um, and I think Satoshi Nakamoto, who created Bitcoin, largely envisioned that being the future, that there would be millions and millions of people each having a device plugged in and and mining. Um, What happened though, is that it began to be a a business in and of itself and the um, concept of a pool, which are collectives of people mining together also came came about, maybe we can touch on that later. But um, what it did is it started forcing Um, and incentivizing, I would say, larger operations to occur. And so I mentioned, for instance, earlier uh, about, let's say, a 100 megawatt site being put together. Well, I call that an elephant class site. Okay, so anything over really about 20 megawatts is what I would call an elephant class site. But there are some benefits of of an elephant class site. It's a highly concentrated operation. there are some efficiencies that you get operationally from having everything in one place. Um, and, and it's what essentially the large mining companies, especially the public mining companies have focused on. So if we look at like a, like a, a marathon or a riot, uh, both publicly traded companies, they only have a couple sites, but they have several hundred megawatts of, of mining occurring. Um, so, but anyway, I call those elephants, and part of the reason I call them, they're big and they're powerful. They're they are slow to grow, also like elephants, but they're also easy targets. They, um, um, they're they easy to find. Um, if you wanted to hunt one and you wanted to take one down, we'll kind of come back to that and thinking of um, governments and people who may want to attack us. They're easy to find, they're easy to hunt. Um, there are several different ways you could disable them. Um, So, and we call those the elephants. The individual mining community, um, which is very large. I mean, part of Satoshi's vision came true in that there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world um, who have one or two mining machines. Um, I call those the rabbits. Um, There are so many of them. you, You may be able to hunt them individually, but you could never... Um, you could never shoot them all, right? So the, el- the, the elephants, there aren't that many and you know where they are. So if you, were, if you were hunting, if you were a government that wanted to disable them all, if you were a, um, envir- a, a environmental activist group who felt so passionately about this, you're willing to blow things up, you would know where to go. Um, and I'm not advocating that or even necessarily predicting it, but it's certainly in the range of possibilities. So um, the, the idea of a middle class, the, the horses and, and, and the ponies, which would be even be a small horse, um, was, was kind of evolved as, as kind of our corporate strategy, that we could put up sites that in measurement size would maybe a couple hundred kilowatts to maybe... 10 megawatts or less, we would build them the way I referred to before in ways in which um, we use shipping containers um, that were highly mobile. Um, So we're powerful, we're fast, they're easy to put up quickly, they're easy to move if if necessary. And and also perfect, by the way, for use in off-grid environments where let's say we're talking about a flared gas situation or a small hydroelectric operation, um, we can bring these horse class, ponies class sites um, directly on site very, very easily. So um, we've identified that as our sweet spot. Um, there really are very few companies in the world doing this. Um, the, there tend to be just the people chasing the really big fish. Uh, or, or trying to create the whale classes and then there's still the the rabbits out there doing their thing individually the rabbits often aren't even by the way um, always financially motivated kind of the freedom thing so you know part of part of the bitcoin ethos is this self-sovereignty and so when you become a miner when you run a bitcoin node when you do those sort of things even if you don't make money at it there's a there's a reason why several of the Do that because it gives them the ability to um be part of processing the blocks, be part of processing transactions, to be able to audit the entire ledger if they choose. There are these sort of things that create self-sovereignty. Um, so I think there'll always be some level of rabbits. But we have to make sure that the the there's not too many elephants. Um, because if if there ever was attack, let's say a coordinated attack by all the Western powers, analogous to what happened in China, they could do a lot of damage to the network very, very quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one, one of the things that I think is very unique and attractive about the horse and pony sector, the middle class of Bitcoin mining, is if you're going to set up like $5 million worth of mining machines, it's a whole different animal than setting up $50 million. Um, dollars worth of mining machines. I mean, just logistically to like get all of those machines ordered and in and set up and powered and everything like that for a smaller mid midsize operation um, it's, there's much less complexity. There's much less things that could go wrong in that process. And I, so I, I personally find that very attractive.
0: Yeah. Well, no, you, 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 um, you hit the nail on the head there. And that's partly why I use those animals as, as the analogy because because the horses horses are fast, um, you know they're they're born <laughs> they're you know they're born and they hit the ground running. Like, like it it there's a whole bunch of things that I think are very, very analogous. And we talked before, like if you if if we decided um, right now, Bryce, we wanted to somehow um, go chase an elephant sized site. Let's say a 200 megawatt elephant sized site. That's going to take us probably eighteen months, um, for maybe even more. Um, between the capital raise, all the permitting, all the equipment purchases, the massive amount of construction in place, so we don't really know what market we're bringing this massive investment up into either. Right? We don't. Are we catching? The beginning of a bull run, the end of a
1: bull run, the beginning of a long bear run. We don't know. We don't know what we're going into. Especially where we are economically right now. It's really hard to try and project where we're going to be in 18 months from now. That's like yeah, that's a big question mark. Yeah.
0: But you know, I can do I have opportunities right now where I can do, let's say, a, a pony or horse class site. And with maybe just a couple things going right for me, we can do it in eight to 10 weeks. Yeah. So, wow.
1: And you so know. you may even be able to pull off a elephant size portfolio in horse portions, you yeah. know, basically like, you know, 10, 10 horses might equal one elephant or something like yeah. that, but you can pull off each one of those horses in a much quicker time frame than actually yeah. doing the whole big elephant. Right. And make the decision individually, like, okay, you know, if, if that, they
0: have to all be cereal, um, mm-hmm. but, but you could theoretically do that serially, like you say, well, OK, I, I got this one up and going conditions still look great. Let's do another one. And, yeah. OK. Now now we see some signs that maybe um, um, uh, there's some trouble on the horizon. So, OK, we'll we'll take the foot off the accelerator now. But if you're if you've already committed to the elephant's eyesight, like, you know, know what do you do
1: right yeah yeah anything could happen in that kind of implementation process for sure yeah
0: Yeah. and then as well as you said the complexity so some of these sites have been attempted and i i you know never want to um be critical of other people some people have pulled it off but a lot of these big sites have taken a lot longer than they've at least publicly stated they were going to take to happen Mm -hmm. so um
1: you and know, sometimes with- it's not in control of the operator's hands. Sometimes it might be like the hosting facility that's actually like holding back on powering up machines for all of the all of the people that are there. Or there's there's a lot of complexities could happen outside of the operator's control when you're doing those large big scale operations.
0: Yeah. And and even things, you know, whether obviously there have been global supply chain issues. So what we found um, just being involved in the industry, although we don't buy these, is like if you want to go buy a 50 megawatt transformer, let's say, um, well, which by the way is like as big as a house. I mean, it's a massive piece of equipment. Um, There's a, you know, uh, in the construction of that transformer, which is going to be custom built for you, um, I don't know, one, one piece of, Tungsten or whatever that one part in there that they can't get because of global supply chain issues is a huge problem um you know we've seen things um like cost of transportation that have skyrocketed um like it it's flabbergasting if you're bringing things in from overseas how much prices have changed um Mm. Bringing things in overseas, it's 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 still ludicrous, honestly. You know, I just share with people like right now, um, like one one typical um, mining server coming in from Hong Kong, let's say, should be the typical port of exit. Um, about three hundred and fifty to four hundred fifty dollars for one server. And that's a combination of shipping fees and tariffs. Like that's a lot of freaking money. And, and uh, three years ago probably would have been a third of that cost.
1: Yeah. So. yeah. That's pretty wild. I definitely like this like horse and pony sized mining operations for a lot of reasons. And also the unique way that you're actually looking at um, the utility source and also the utility costs. Um, I think that's really amazing. You know, and some people have said, "Oh, like Bitcoin's down. I'm not interested." From my experience, when Bitcoin was at sixty, about sixty thousand per coin, um, in our mining operations, we were making for our investors somewhere between around about eight to eleven percent monthly on that. And even though Bitcoin has plummeted. And it's down in the low twenties um, as we're we're speaking about this. Um, we're still making like pretty decent percentages on a monthly basis, yep. even while it's so low. So the way I look at it, at least personally, and again, I'm not giving any um, I'm not giving any advice. Is just simply my opinion. Is I think Bitcoin can really only go up from here. And um, it's an awesome opportunity to actually buy low, um, buy machines while they're low, get in and kind of enjoy the ride that I think is inevitable to go up. Um, when, based off that, uh, when do you think we could see an increase in Bitcoin price? And if you were to throw a dart at the dartboard, and I know we don't like to really make predictions, but people are always interested to see what people think. Sure. Um, where, where, do you think Bitcoin would be at the end of next year at the, at the end of this year and, uh, maybe in 12 months from now? All right. Okay.
0: Um, just one guy's. Yes, a lot of external factors, obviously, that I don't control. But I would say this that if we exit the year um, below the high 20s, 28 to 30,000, I will be surprised. I think we'll be in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw it hit like 24 just a little bit ago. I think we're just, I think I mentioned this before. I think we're at the end of a lot of people who had gotten themselves in trouble. And there was just too much Bitcoin coming into the market too fast, all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're about done with that. Mm -hmm. And so I think the natural order will occur. 12 months from now, um, I think it will be twice that number. So I think we'll be back testing the all-time high 12 months from now. That's pretty exciting. And um, the, the basic justification of that is there's an event called the having, mm-hmm. which, which will occur roughly in the spring of 2024. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, you know, markets today are very savvy. And I think people will know the supply squeeze is coming. That will create, we don't have time for it, but that will create some further tightening of the money supply when the having occurs and so people will people astute people will know that and they will know that that will drive price higher and so um just that alone i think makes it now if we continue to see things like inflation rates the way they are the the crisis in europe um potential crisis in and in, in china that you refer to all those sort of things um those are all big things. There was a, a unconfirmed on Twitter today that Russia was about to begin accepting payments for oil and Bitcoin. Um, and, wow. and so an event like that occurring would be absolutely massive. Yeah,
1: yeah game changing. Yeah. Something else I've heard about kind of along those lines is that there is larger corporations, Uh, looking to join the Bitcoin mining space in which the investing uh, capital involved in those investments is a very low return like i talked about investors making you know kind of from eight percent to eleven percent a month uh, back when bitcoin was about sixty thousand um, dollars from what i've heard these larger corporations would be making about six percent annually for their investors so that means that when it comes time to do distributions whether they're happening on a monthly basis or however frequently they're happening at that point, uh, the actual operators would have to liquidate a lot less of their Bitcoin to cover the overheads because the investment capital is really not that much. So there'll be a lot less Bitcoin coming back out on the market, which actually means that uh, it's a tighter supply and the demand increasing. So to me, that actually seems like a good move for Bitcoin. I don't know if you've like really heard or have any opinions on that. Um I've heard similar things.
0: I expect similar things. Uh, I, this is, I'll say this. This is what I believe will happen in the course of the next three to five years. I think you'll see several utility companies enter the mining space, first of all. Mm-hmm. So, and for them, I think what they will do is um, when they have, ex- if you're a utility company and you suddenly have excess energy, what often happens is that energy has to go somewhere. And so sometimes they will sell it at a negative price, meaning they will pay people to take it away. This is very common, by the way, in the nuclear space because you can't, same with coal, some coal and some of the fossil fuels, you can't, you can't exactly just turn them on and off like, And so. The, the 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 nuclear facilities, who maybe are imagine it's a hot summer day in North Carolina, right? And and uh, everybody's got their air conditioning cranked, and um, till like nine ten at night, and then people start going to bed and the day starts cooling down, and suddenly the demand for electricity plummets, but the nuclear Power plant can't get turned off. and That energy has to go somewhere. So what do they do with it? They will sell it at a negative price to other people. They'll literally pay. They, they have to get rid of it. They have to. So they literally pay people to take it. Now, what if instead they just start mining Bitcoin? They go from mm, losing. Negative. They go from negative yeah. to making Bitcoin. Now, do they have to sell that Bitcoin? No. They don't, mm-hmm. they can, they can hold it. They don't really have operational costs associated with it. So I think you're going to see, you're going to see utility companies get involved. Um, I think you're going to see insurance companies get involved And you and I, I as you know, I have a, some involvement in infinite banking and I, I mm-hmm. assume some of your viewers are familiar with that. Um, I believe, and I've, I've actually been advocating for it with the carriers that I work with um, to produce Bitcoin-denominated life insurance policies. Um, So where the death benefit would be paid in Bitcoin and the premium would be paid in Bitcoin. Um, Now, um, more than we can dive into today, but if you think through that, the only way for the insurance companies to control the cost basis of the Bitcoin that they need for the policies is to mine. So I can see insurance companies making investments at a minimum, if not running their own, but at a minimum investing in these organizations. And of course, what will they do? They will hodl it. They have to. They have to have it available for when they have to pay the premiums. So um, you'll see dispersions, of course, upon death, but those will be on an actuarial basis and they'll be far in the future. Um, uh, I'm... Fidelity, and then we'll talk about the financial services companies. Fidelity's already been in mining; they were actually an early entrant. Most people don't know that. Fidelity's been mining for almost a decade. Um, I'm sure you will see BlackRock and all the other big boys um, mm-hmm. find some metric. Why? Because they must have a source of Bitcoin. Um, you know they they have to provide liquidity, and by the way, all of them have announced um that they are now offering bitcoin trading you know into their co- so both fidelity and blackrock have have have, wow. um, have offered this it's interesting cuz it's not getting the
1: news coverage but that by that's in the recent news that's just in the last few days and if um, blackrock is getting into something it's a very strategic play these guys are not like doing something willy-nilly or having a stab at something they're very strategic about what they're doing um so that's that's a very interesting um data point right there yeah and then the last one i'll mention um is
0: um for companies let's say like exxon to not be involved in this is ludicrous um you know they with the amount of drilling that they do the amount of gas that they um that they have access to um the from the oil drilling, the the gas byproducts, um, you know, and even in part of the refining process, you know, there are there are byproducts that they have a difficult time figuring out what to do with. So for them to not be involved, again, all these companies will will be able to take something that is a cost and a nuisance to them today, like that nuclear example,
1: and turn it into something that actually makes money. But like you were saying earlier on the elephant entry is like you know, to, to enter at that large of a scale, a lot of the times it's not going to be able to happen quickly. So this will take a little bit of time for this adoption, yeah. adoption to happen. And when all these big players are joining, um, that's a term that we we call in this space mass adoption. And some, the reason why we're talking about uh, operators that may not need to put Bitcoin back out on the market is because for those who don't know, that's where Bitcoin becomes available. It's when miners are actually putting their Bitcoin back out on the market. If all the people that are mining Bitcoin, because that's where Bitcoin comes from, from mining Bitcoin, if all of the people mining Bitcoin are holding a lot more of their Bitcoin, there's hardly going to be that much Bitcoin coming back out on the market. And there's going to be a whole lot of scarcity. What happens when there's scarcity and high demand? demand prices go up and so so these are all things that definitely are in our favor so uh, I know we're a little bit short on time here and we're going to have to wrap it up soon but there's one thing that you're doing uniquely which I don't know I don't see any other Bitcoin mining operators doing and I wanted you to speak to that real quickly before we wrap up and that is that you are doing daily distributions to investors so do you want to speak to that
0: Yeah, um, thank you for bringing that up. I, in the Bitcoin space, um, there's a phrase. It's, you know, not your keys, not your coin. Okay. And um, it, it basically means don't trust other people to hold your Bitcoin. So um, this is one of two reasons why we distribute. So, you know, we like to work with people who... Um, who want Bitcoin, who want to hodl Bitcoin. And we feel within the ethos of Bitcoin and, and, and uh, uh, the, the philosophical approach that we have to it, it's appropriate for us to get the money to the investor as quickly as possible. Hopefully they'll hodl it, but even if they want to sell it, then it's up to them. They're not trusting us. So I mentioned Core Scientific having 8,000 Bitcoin. Um, you know, they, the shareholders of that company, are never going to see that eight thousand, right? I mean that that that's not really their Bitcoin. Um, it's Core's, and Core decided to sell it. Um, and so anyway, so from an ethos standpoint, we distribute daily. Um, and and so, uh, that's one reason. The second reason is tax. That what happens is. If you own part of an entity that is mining Bitcoin, and let's just say that Bryce and I are part of um, a company and we each own half, and that company owns one Bitcoin, let's just say for argument's sake, the operating expenses are roughly equal to 25% of the revenue that we're generating. So we would take 0.25 Bitcoin and we would sell it to fiat to cover our energy bills and our labor and those sort of things. We would take the remaining 75% and send it uh, uh, 37 and a half, 0.375 to Bryce and 0.375 to me. And we would do it the same day that we mined it. So that if that was today, um, the cost basis that we acquired it would be 20,000 and the cost basis that we sent it to the investor would be 20,000. Now imagine... We do distributions at the end of every quarter instead. Um, we mine it at 20,000 today, and October 1st, when we do this distribution, Bitcoin has moved to 40,000, which is certainly very possible in our world, right? Well, we've just passed a $20,000 capital gain to you that you have to, to settle immediately. right So um, companies in the Bitcoin space that leave long gaps of time between the point of mining and the point of distribution expose their investors to a lot of financial risk and a lot of potential lost upside. So especially if you don't, if you plan on hodling too, right? So if you plan on selling it right away, I guess it doesn't matter much. But if you plan on holding it, you now have to pay the tax on the $20,000 gain in the, in the situation where the slow distribution occurred.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. And I honestly don't know anybody else who's doing that in the space. So that's that's really amazing. So I know we've got to wrap things up here. How do our freedom hackers keep the conversation going with you? Um follow me on Twitter, uh Boomer underscore BTC.
0: Um you can learn about the company at barefootmining.com.
1: Yep. And we'll have all of those links in the show notes below. Uh, any final thoughts? You know, just that you know, I think what's at stake, you know, since this is the
0: Freedom Hacker uh, podcast, um, what's at stake is bigger than just money. And, you know, I, I talked about it with the outlet thing. Um, you know, our our entire society is being attacked, and there are forces trying to further centralize and further control us. If we do not control the money and the monetary system, or at least have an option for one that's not, that's not controlled by a centralized group. Um, I think, ultimately, freedom will be very hard to attain. Um, because if you control a monetary network and you control people's access to money, you can almost force them to do anything. Um, and... Uh, So I do what I do because I like to make money and I wanna make money, but I also uh, do what I do because I believe securing this network and making this monetary system work is a key piece to leaving a world for my kids and my grandkids that is freedom-based. And I, I, I don't mean to be dramatic, but I guess I'm gonna be that if Bitcoin doesn't win, and the current fiat system wins and the, the um, existing central banking system and their implementations of CBDC's CD- wins, um, I don't hold a very optimistic view of our
1: future. However, on the flip, coin, on the flip side of that, Bitcoin could be um, our only savior yeah, financially. Yeah. Yeah, I guess to, to instead of ending on the negative, note, only,
0: you know, Bitcoin is the savior. And so I, I would encourage everybody to get involved at some level to I'm not giving you financial advice, I'm giving you freedom advice,
1: like, mm. own, own a little Bitcoin, at least pay attention. Yeah. And that's what I really appreciated about you from the moment that I met you. From the moment I met you and you started speaking about this from stage, you just really caught me on the freedom piece because everyone had been talking about the financial perspective. And yes, that's important. And yes, we're involved heavily in that space because of that as well. But the freedom component is absolutely huge. And uh, you know, a few years, a few months, few years down the path, I think some of us might feel that more intensely, the importance for the freedom to be able to control our capital and to be able to make purchases in the way that we want to make purchases, making our own choices like we can now, because a lot of those choices they're trying to squash. So really appreciate you. I love your unique angle. I love the unique positioning in the industry. Thanks for coming on freedom hack radio. And once again, sharing an abundance of wisdom. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Wonderful to be with you, Bryce.
1: Thank you so much. Beautiful, beautiful. And for all of our freedom hackers at home, I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. This is Freedom Hack Radio. And until next week, live large, live free. G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio. And I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at freedom hack radio